Morning, everybody. My name is Jeremy. I'm the pastor here. Love to welcome you to Midtown Creve Hall. Um, we're a part of a broader movement across Nashville. Five congregations going on six right now, uh, where there are uh, literally, praise the Lord, thousands of people that are flooding uh, our congregations this morning to hear and be reminded of the gospel of Jesus. That's what we're about. That's why we're here. Uh, and that's, Lord willing, what uh, you will have as you walk back out into your week is a reminder of the promises that God has made to you. Um, a couple of things before we get going. The first is welcome. If you're new, if you're new-ish, uh, if you would like to know what is going on in the life of our congregation, if any of those things fit you, there's a QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. Uh, that you can shoot with your, uh, the photo portion of your cell phone. For the longest time, I thought you had to have an app to read the QR code, and then it turns out you can just do it right on your dadgum cell phone. So there you go. Uh, you can shoot it right off your cell phone. It'll take you to a website where you can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, if you'd like to connect more with us, learn more about small groups, about membership process, any of those things, you can jump right in and, uh, and do that there. Secondly, we have uh, a ministry this morning that we want to highlight uh, that is there's a table. If you look to your back right, there's a table on your way out that I would love for you to visit and, uh, and to give us a little bit more information about that. Sarah Nielsen is going to come up. y'all. I'm Sarah, which is a good guess around here because there's about 10 of us. So if you ever don't know someone's name, just guess Sarah. You might be right. Um, I get to tell you about a ministry called Young Lives today. Um, I feel like they always make it look so easy and casual. There we go. Um, it's a ministry that exists to serve teen mamas and their babies here in Nashville. It is a branch of Young Life, so if you know anything about Young Life, it is related. And our fundraiser today is to sell Mother's Day cards um, at the back table. They're created by a local artist. They're beautiful. We ask that you would donate $10 um, per card, and all of the proceeds will go to help send these mamas and their babies to summer camp for a week. It's a week that they get to play and their kids go to childcare, so they get to just be teens and have fun and they get to hear about and feel the love of God. So it's a great ministry and I invite you to join me in that this morning. I'll be at the back table selling those cards after church. Thanks. Wonderful. Uh, very easy way to go ahead and handle your Mother's Day right here in this room. Uh, okay, so you remember COVID? You remember that? That was weird. Um, it seems like forever ago, but I mean, what a mess that was in so many ways. Everyone's shut in, isolated, anxiety, depression through the roof, uh, friendships break down, businesses shut down, families run down, like the whole thing just seemed like this dark cloud over the world. One of the surprising stats to come out of COVID though is there were more new businesses launched during COVID than in the previous 10 years. There were 
4.4 million new businesses created in 2020. That's 50% more than the average of 20, uh, the previous 10 years, 2010 to 2020, therefore. There was something about what COVID did in shutting all of us down, in forcing us into isolation, in turning us forcibly inward, that we found out something about the human soul. We found out something about the human spirit. We found out something about what makes humans flourish or not. Creve Hall Bagel. Say no more. Praise the Lord for Creve Hall Bagel. There may still be some crumbs over there by the tech booth uh, if you would like some of those as you head out. But that's one of the many business ventures that was birthed out of this desire that humanity has to create, to cultivate, to grow, to adapt. It's built into us. And when you try to, to shove baby in a corner, baby comes out of the corner. So we're in this, uh, just about to close out this series in the first 12 chapters of Genesis, and we're really trying to, to do a thoughtful search about a particular question. And that question is, what makes humanity, what makes humans or humanity collectively flourish? What makes us who we are and how do we live into that? Because if we know who we are, then as we live into that reality, then hypothetically, we would also thrive. And what we're finding and even socially what we've seen over the past couple of years is that meaning does not come in isolation. Meaning comes in community and cultivation. And Noah has been this template for us where last week, <clears throat> Excuse me. Last week, we saw that as the waters rose, it showed this picture of humanity and evil kind of encompassing the whole earth, the whole earth, in a sense, turning in on itself. And so God does this hard reset and he saves only a few. He saves Noah and his family through this ark. This week, what we find is the waters begin to now recede. Noah stands for the first time in a long time on solid ground. And he gives the world back in our text today to humankind. And we have something unique to learn about this as we see that humanity doesn't stop being evil. But there is still this call to cultivate this earth to live in such a way where we are bringing all of our capacities to bear for goodness, for truth, for beauty on this world that he's given us. So uh, with that, Betsy. Betsy Williams, everybody. Oh, you already got it. Great. Okay, Genesis 9, 1 through 17. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh. Eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. And 
From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between you and me and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of my covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all the flesh. And the waters never shall become again a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the, blow, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Betsy, Betsy, thank you. Great work. So what we can read from this passage is that God is not done with us. God has not, he had the opportunity to just shut the whole thing down. And yet what last week showed is that God gave the sign of the flood to show us that there is salvation through judgment. And that was pictured in the cross last week. And this week, what we see is on the other side of the cross, there is this new flourishing life that as a Christian, there's an invitation not to a lesser life, but to a greater one. Because again, Christianity gives us this understanding. This big book gives us an understanding of who we are, of where we came from, of where we're going, and how we live this life of thriving so to this week, today, he gives us the sign of a rainbow to foreshadow what this flourishing life with Jesus can look like. So three ways, and we're going to walk through the text from top to bottom, three ways that we are called into the cultivation of this newly given, still broken, but newly given world now into our hands. We're to cultivate its beauty we're to cultivate its goodness, and we're to cultivate its truth. Truth, goodness, and beauty. You may have heard these three categories before thrown around uh, in a number of ways, maybe in a, a philosophy class in high school or college. Where these came from, going all the way back to the days of Plato and Aristotle, these were sort of the three categories of what it meant to be human what it meant to live a life, how we are to pursue flourishing are these three categories. Scholar Stephen Turley, I believe we have this on the, uh, on the slides, says this, truth, goodness, and beauty are cosmic values that communicate divine meaning to the intellectual, moral, and aesthetic capacities of the human soul. Never mind, I'll just read it. Uh, which brings a balance in the soul which harmonizes the human person with divine meaning and purpose of the cosmos. 
which is considered the prerequisite to human flourishing. What does all that mean? It means that even all the way back, understanding that all truth is God's truth, there was something that Plato and Aristotle were scratching at in their understanding of what it means to be human and how we live this flourishing life. And they came up with these three categories. And then Christians took those and said, yeah, actually, those are in the Bible. And this actually encapsulates what it means to live a flourishing life. So the first one that we're going to see is beauty in this passage. Look at verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Leave that one up there. These are the same words. This may sound familiar if we've been here for a little while or if you've ever, like we joked about before, if you've ever started your Bible reading plan and you got through like the middle of Leviticus and got really bored and stopped. The same words here as Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Doesn't that sound familiar? There it is. What's happening? It means that we are still made to cultivate a beautiful world, to break off a chunk of creation and make something amazing with it. It's built into the human soul. We're not necessarily just made to sort of protect the natural resources so they can do whatever they want. We know that there's a, a reason for um, for you know, responsible hunting practice that controls animal population. We're also on the other side, not made to just conquer the whole thing because we also know the deforestation and pollution and all those things that are happening are huge issues today. But we are instead made to steward responsibly this gift and create something beautiful out of these raw materials that God has given. Whether paint, clay, home decor, spreadsheets, car parts, or carrots are your du jour. Whatever that looks like, you are a creator by virtue of the fact that you are a human. But here's the reality check. Verse two, I think we have this up here too. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast and bird and fish. If you've ever tried to fish, you know this. What is this saying? Saying that you are going to try to cultivate beauty in this world. And it is going to be hard. And you are going to face resistance at every turn. Creation now won't go quietly. It won't go along with your plans. In fact, it's twisted to the exact opposite of your plans. The world is now created for chaos. And you're trying to bring order out of that chaos. If you're familiar with the book War of Art, this is what the, that book calls resistance. This is the resistance, the press, that every time you try to bring beauty to bear on this, on this world, to bring order to bear out of this chaos, everything breaks, everything leaks, everything squeaks. It just does. Uh, we're about to finish up a basement renovation and everything has broken, and everything has leaked, and everything has squeaked. We just found out this past week that uh, our main drain line that runs out of our house into the sewer is leaking. And the places that we just closed up with beautiful new drywall now has to be ripped right back out. Everything leaks. Everything breaks. 
thankfully, the, the wisdom of my wife's dad, uh, who told her, I think in regards to something breaking in her car a number of years ago, he said, Sarah, stuff breaks, you fix it. He knew this truth that there is something broken about the world. There is something broken about our cars and our bodies and our homes and the art that we try to make and the music we try to make and the order we try to bring. But this normalizes it. This text today normalizes, yes, we are on the other side of the fall. Brokenness has flooded into everything, including post-flood Noah. And yet in that resistance, we are still called to press in and not cave in. That's beauty. Secondly, goodness. Look to verse six. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. God grounds a life of morality. And he grounds it, not just because I told you so. He grounds it in the image of God in your fellow man. That to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly is what it means to treat someone else as if you were treating God that way. And so then to lie and to steal and to kill to another in the way that Uh, that this verse talks about is the very same way as if you were lying and stealing and killing God himself. And yet again, there's an issue because yes, we hear that man is made in the image of God. We desire to create a world full of equality and justice and mercy and joy and peace and love. And yet there was a stowaway on the boat. There was a stowaway in that the sin nature that came into the world through Adam was still passed down to Noah and to all of his children. They got on the boat, it came all the way through the flood and it came out on the, side, on the other side alive and well, passed down all the way into our hearts. The same heart that of, in which Cain killed his brother Abel now dwells inside of you. That nature has not left humanity. It survived the flood, and we still find it inside of ourselves. And so again, we're called to press in to a life of justice and mercy and love and peace. And again, it's going to be so hard. Jesus says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. If we believe that our full duty to God is done in the 1.5 hours that we spend in this building on a Sunday morning, we're wrong. God is calling us into the world with this as the fuel that fills us up. He's saying, Jesus is saying that to those who have just been trying to focus on their religious practice alone as that which makes them right before God, Jesus is saying, no, there's way more to do than that. 
It's not just about what you give. It's not just, just about doing the right thing before me in my house. It's about doing the right thing across every scope and spectrum of your city, of where you live, where you work, and where you play. So who are the weak and vulnerable in your life? Who are those even like the Young Lives Table in the back that God might call you into a life of justice and mercy and faithfulness and bringing that to bear on a particular person or a particular people who are experiencing injustice and unfaithfulness. Um, I, was a, I became a Christian a little bit later on in life. I was in college. And so early on, I really assumed that, you know, God probably just wants me to like pray and be in Bible studies and like, you know, learn to play acoustic guitar so I, and play G, C, and D so I can play every Christian song. And uh, so this is my junior year of college. And if you track my grades through college, it went like this. And guess when that middle part was? When I became a Christian. I got the worst grades the year that I became a Christian than any of my other years combined. What was going on? I had convinced myself that the only thing that mattered to God was my devotion only to him. That if I could just, if I could just worship well enough, if I could just give good enough, if I could just love the homeless guy that continued to uh, pursue me through this other friend of mine, uh, that that would be enough. And yet I forgot that a life of justice and mercy and faithfulness also looked like being faithful to my professors, being faithful to my lab partners who I was flaking out on and turning stuff in late to and squandering my parents' money in the process. There's a whole lot more to a life of justice and mercy than just what we do in this one and a half hours. It turns out that God likes homework too. So a life of beauty, a life of goodness, pursuing those two things is going to bring us to a place, as I'm sure many of you, as you walk in this morning, are just so beat up by your week. Listen, I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to do my best by my kids. I'm trying to do my best in my job. I'm trying to do my best with my parents. I'm trying to do my best with my homework. I'm trying to do my best. And yet it just continues to fall apart. I continue to do things that I don't want to do. I continue to, to break out in anger. I continue to find myself saying things I wish I could just pull back in. I continue to be surprised with all of the suffering that continues to pile on my shoulders. God, is it enough yet? I imagine if your week has been like mine, most of us are walking in more so with that reality than sort of this triumphant walk in this room of, man, I really killed it this week. Praise God for this passage. Because when those clouds come, we are so easily tempted, me this week, so easily tempted and then to live out of that temptation to believe that God has abandoned me. He's gone, I'm alone, he doesn't care, it's up to me. 
and then all kinds of ugliness spins out of that. Exactly. That's what I feel like too. Right, but we need not only beauty. We need not only goodness. We need truth. We need hope that can turn us back out those doors again this week with our head held high, realizing that there is more than meets the eye in this world. Or actually, it might be something that you've seen a hundred times and just never been able to put together. Verse 11 through 13 says this. I establish my covenant with you. God speaking to mankind. I establish my covenant with you. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, if you're like me, you look at those middle verses there and it says, I will, I will never again destroy the world by a flood. And you're like, well, shoo. So I don't have to be so worried about hurricanes, but there's still all those wildfires. Maybe he'll just pick a different way to blow up the world this time. But no, this is saying something about God's character. God has always spoken to his people via promises. He is a promise-making, promise-keeping God, knowing that he will be the faithful party. And what he is communicating is that though ugliness and injustice and brokenness inside of me and outside in the world will persist, at least for now, so will God's commitment to this place. So will God's commitment to his people. And in a sense, the word here for bow is you can find, if you do a search in the Old Testament, um, you can do this on like just normal, you know, uh, Bible gateway kind of software. Search the word bow in the Old Testament. You will see time after time after time where that word bow is used like a bow and arrow. And it's used to describe usually divine judgment all of the ways that God is angry at his people. And this is not just an Old Testament thing. This is also like a Greek mythology thing and others. And so this idea that God is saying, I'm stepping away, I'm putting up the gun, and I'm standing back, is this image that he is trying to tell and communicate through this very ordinary thing to us of a rainbow. And he's saying, every time, notice the pronouns there. He says, every time I see the rainbow, I'm going to remember my promise to you. And every time you see the rainbow, you're going to remember my promise to you. Now, if you were just to end here, this would feel a little bit lackluster because, okay, so what is God saying? He's just like sort of, you know, just nice God now. He was mean God. Now he's nice God. He put up the bow. He's no more judgment. Everything's going to be fine. Nothing feels fine though, God. I don't feel fine. This world doesn't feel fine. So is he just sort of laying over? Is he just sort of, nah, I'm just kind of tired. I'm done. 
I don't really want to, y'all just figure it out. No, he's saying there is no more judgment towards my people. And the way that he will then demonstrate that is he will pick up his bow once more. And if you fast forward all the way through to the time of Jesus, there is this moment on the cross where all of God's anger, all of God's wrath at all of the things that we have done, where God's bow is stretched back as far as it can go, and as his hand trembles, he lets it go. Into the heart of his son, who he dearly loves. That is the picture that's being told. That is the story that is being laid before us. Peter reflects on this about what he saw his friend Jesus go through when he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's what happened on the cross, that he might bring us to God. And then he goes on to say, as God's patience waited in the days of Noah. He's saying the, very, the picture of Noah is a picture of divine judgment falling, but it falling on Jesus. But a covenant requires two parties. And so the question before all of us today, what is our end of the bargain? Our end of the bargain is, are we, do we believe this truth? We can walk in beauty and goodness all we want and live a beautiful, amazing, good life and still be far from God. We need this truth to set everything else in its right place. Do you believe that God's judgment was loosed on Jesus or it would have been you? Because there is only one way to know that for sure and it is to believe that that did happen for him because it's either him or it's us. And that's the offer being given always, every Sunday and every moment of the day is to come under that truth, to come under that reality, to say, I can't stand before God's judgment on my own. I know my heart. I know myself. I've done too much wrong. There's no way I can. And then what makes our spine stiffen is to believe that that divine justice fell on Jesus so that all of his divine mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life. So if it's true that a rainbow is just when clouds dissipate, there is light from the sun that then refracts and creates those multiple colors in the sky. God is teaching us something by using this image of the rainbow. He actually says in verse 14, when I bring the clouds, I will remember my covenant and so will you. Meaning, there is going to be darkness in your life. There is going to be suffering in your life. There are going to be things that you will do this week that surprise even you. And what the rainbow that may come this week, if we have any overcast days, is going to communicate to you and going to scream across the skies 
is that for those that are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is only divine smile over you. Actually, if you dial back to Revelation 4, which we're going to study in the not-too-distant future, that'll be a thing. There's this image in Revelation 4 of the divine throne where Jesus is sitting, and guess what's over his head? A rainbow. He's saying, I'm looking up at that thing and remembering that I smile over you because of what I did all the time. And so when you face darkness in your life, this image of the rainbow reminds us that even though truth and goodness and beauty may be obscured by darkness for a time, now even our worst days can reveal the goodness of Jesus and can call us to press in and press forward in this life of truth and goodness and beauty. Madeline Lingle, who wrote the book on creation um, called Walking on Water, says this. Our truest response to the irrationality, the brokenness of this world is to paint or to sing or to write. For only in such response do we find truth. Whatever that creative medium for you is, whatever God may be calling you into this life of beauty and goodness and truth, if you're finding that you need some courage towards that end, one of the things that we're going to start offering every Sunday in this room is we recognize that there is an experiential element to worship. And so, uh, and prayer is a primary way that we express our dependency on Jesus. Uh, and so if you need somewhere to go to pray, if you need somewhere to go where you can have someone put a hand on your shoulder and pray over you, if you've got a need that you need to communicate to someone else that they could lift you up before the throne, or if you just need a quiet place to go as we close out here, you can head back to that back, your back left corner. Uh, there'll be a couple of folks from our prayer team that would love to pray with you. Uh, and that will be a consistent thing that we'll be offering, recognizing that life is hard uh, and the call to live by faith is a call to live by prayer. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have made promises to us because on our own, we would not be able to keep our promises to you. But you are faithful. And you have shown yourself to be faithful through all kinds of things, but especially through the cross. So thank you for it. I can only imagine what the, the weight of the sin of the world on your shoulders must have felt like the weight of the anger against you from your father must have felt like. And we so don't understand that most days and we definitely don't live in response to that most days. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would communicate the truth of the gospel to our hearts. And that as we walk back out these doors, we would have a new courage. We would have a new mindset. We'd have a, a new creativity to see how are you calling us to flourish and thrive in this world and not just survive. Call us out of our inwardness. Show us those places in our life where we have turned in on ourselves, the places we don't want anyone else to see, the places that we say, no, these still are mine. And would you help us to loosen our hands into empty hands of faith 
and to come to you even in these next few songs, even at the prayer corner, even in the quietness of our own hearts and give our life once more or maybe for the first time to you, our faithful Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.